Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What do you do in a growing economy with no inflation, coupled with an astonishing 4 million vaccines distributed on Saturday? Well, you pretty much everything, of course, except the stay-at-home stocks. And that's exactly what people did today. Dow gaining 374 points, S&P climbing 1.44%, and the Nasdaq jumping 1.67%. House of pleasure. On Friday, we got a picture-perfect set of employment numbers, at least from the perspective of the stock market. You had a gigantic number of jobs created, 916,000, far better than expected. But at the same time, wages didn't go up. Now, professional money managers crave growth without wage inflation, and that's just what we got. Of course, if you work for a living, you want to raise. But the big money managers, well, they like it when you work for less, which is how you get growth without inflation. Nirvana for stocks. Now, see, this kind of labor report gives Fed Chairman Jay Powell the green light to keep holding rates low. Powell wants to return to the economy we had before the pandemic. Remember, we had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. And that can happen if we get everyone vaccinated and we're well on our way there. Maybe we repeat. The one obstacle, if we get hit with a wave of inflation, Powell might have to slam the brakes on the economy. But the recent bout of commodity inflation doesn't seem to be translating into wage inflation. That makes sense. They oftentimes don't intertwine. And that means the Fed has no reason to tighten because commodity inflation can be transitory and temporary. Even better, oil got crushed today, giving Powell even more cover. I like his hand more than that of the inflationistas right now, because nothing is more important to stocks and bonds than that non-farm labor department report that we got just Friday. So let's take a closer look at a couple of important sectors that roared today. Well, first, there's FANG. Yes, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. So many traders love to trash these stocks. How many obituaries were written in the last month? But they're exactly what you invest in when tech stops rolling over, and it's safe to put money to work. You don't put it in the highest growth. You put it in FANG. Why? What makes them so attractive? Simple. Because they haven't moved. 
yeah, they're behind the market. Facebook's now one of the least expensive growth stocks out there, trading at just 27 times earnings. Despite its incredibly fast growth, it is where the advertisers want to be. It's how they reach people. Amazon's not cheap. But it's down for the year, something the pros just love when they're trying to figure out what's to buy. And it's unusual, especially when you have to presume Amazon will be able to keep many of the customers they picked up during the pandemic. And remember, they spent $4 billion to make sure that the workers were protected. You may think they weren't, but that's what they spent. Meanwhile, Apple got some lift after CEO Tim Cook gave an interview this weekend where he didn't throw cold water on the idea of getting to the car business. Tesla reported some terrific numbers over the weekend. So anything that can turn Apple into a Tesla rival will get the stock moving. Once again, though, the real draw for Apple is the relative price action. The stock's down 5% for the year, even as the S&P's up more than 8%. Too juicy to pass up. Like I always tell you, own it, don't trade it. How many told you to trade it in the last two weeks over and over again? Wrong. Netflix didn't do much in part because it already had a big run last week. Finally, there's this bizarre conundrum of Alphabet, the parent of Google, which is the one fan component that's clearly a reopening stock. Alphabet's up 26% for the year. But you know why? Well, it's lagged so far behind the rest of the group last year that it's got plenty of room to play catch-up. Like Facebook, Google's become a remarkable advertising vehicle. They're the best way to reach consumers. The stock performed poorly last year because of travel ad cancellations. Now those ads are coming back with a vengeance, so it's not too late to buy the stock, even though it's had a remarkable move. I know that old tech bores people. Nothing more boring than Microsoft. However, Microsoft's the quintessential growth of no inflation tech stock because it will make its numbers no matter what. And it really blow them away if corporate sales pick up. Remember, Fang and Microsoft have been held back by inflation worries. You don't buy classic growth stocks when inflation's an issue. But if wage inflation is not a problem, these stocks can get a new lease on life. Second important group is the semis. Once again, the leaders. Current chip shortage shows no sign of abating. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. When that happens, the estimates for the semiconductor companies are going higher, maybe a lot higher. A chip shortage that started with autos is now being extended to all sorts of devices, anything connected to the Internet of Things. Last week, Micron came here and told us that DRAMs and flash memory chips are now both in short supply. It had just been DRAMs. Demand for cell phone parts has become insatiable. 5G. The cause of these shortages, we don't have enough manufacturing capacity, meaning there's just not enough semiconductor capital equipment, the kind made by Applied Materials, Lamb Research, KLA. Applied Materials has an analyst meeting tomorrow where I expect them to explain how far-ranging this shortage might be. I think the semiconductor complex were today in anticipation of that presentation. Third group that's working despite the chip shortage, it's autos. Now, it didn't take much to ignite Ford and GM, just an analyst push for a pair of stocks that are trading only, yes, 11 to 12 times earnings. That gives them a lot of room to run. I like the Ford call because the company's committed to making cars around the globe, but only in places where it can do it profitably. I know that sounds silly. Who the heck would intentionally try to make cars that lose money? Well, the old Ford, that's who. This company used to be on a mission to make cars everywhere, even if they were unprofitable. Fortunately, the new CEO, Jim Farley, has scrapped that mission, and the hope is that his stock has become too cheap to ignore, even with the chip shortage gripping production and the move it has already had. I've also been recommending GM. It's still too cheap after this run. What else? We know the country's reopening travel is coming back, including the airline stocks, but the cruise lines are still stuck in the port. Today, their stocks were anyway, because Frank Del Rio from Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings fired a shot across CDC's bow, laying out what I thought was a rigorous case for why his ship should be allowed to sail starting July. We'll hear from Frank later in the show to learn more about what's going on and how nothing seems to please the CDC. 
So what happens to the market now? I think we'll hear that if you can't stay this good, that's what they're going to right? It can't stay this good. It's a party, all that stuff. Uh, it can only go up so far on news that things are getting better. Plus, after dearth of news, we're finally about to hit earnings season. I think these record highs have come on the backs of the stay-at-home stocks that were almost making a comeback. This is the fuel, the stay-at-home, into these. I say almost because we got a weaker-than-expected automatic data report last week that suggested the economy might be experiencing weaker growth. That made people worry that we might be headed back into some sort of COVID-induced slowdown, the variants, now that new cases are picking up. But between Friday's terrific jobs number and Saturday's incredible vaccination number, I think a slowdown has been taken off the table. Now, we do have new threats coming to the market at all times. We have reports of decline in activity from individual investors. More on that later. But I think we're going to see more money going into index funds, which, by the way, helps explain why the FANG names were able to rally as they're a huge part of the S&P and the NASDAQ, and that money in the index funds moves them higher. I hate to think that regular people are giving up on individual stocks, but index funds, once again, seem to be the default investment. That said, you have to be more circumspect after big up days. You know what we do in big up days for my charitable trust? We trimmed a bunch of positions. You can see what we did. On joining, by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Nothing big, but little positions, little trims to big positions. I am also always wary of markets that go straight up, as pleasing as they may be to you. But the bottom line, it's so unusual to have low rates and low wage inflation, even as the government's throwing money at so many families and the Federal Reserve's committed to creating jobs. Of course, we'd rally in a situation like this one. It's precisely what's supposed to happen when things go so right with the economy. Let's go to Sunny. In Arizona, Sonny. Booyah, Joe, man. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? I'm good, sir. Thank you very much for taking my call. Good uh, deal. A quick shout out to my boys in my stock group chat and my girlfriend, Bridget, who's an ICU nurse at the front lines of the pandemic. Well, tell her thank you for what she's doing because I know that that's an unpleasant place. How can I help you? Yes, sir. So in June, I purchased shares of a stock that analysts predicted was going to be a drive to work stock. But with the recent pivot to podcasting, I'd argue that it's not a stay-at-home and return-to-work stock. So my question with recent bond yields rising, is this one of these growth tech stocks that I should trim a little bit or buy more of at these levels? My question is about Spotify technology. Look, I've seen this stock come down and come down hard because people do regard it as a stay-at-home stock. I agree with you, sir. I, I, look, I think this stock is more versatile than that. I actually am inclined to be a buyer of Spotify, even as some people try to cut numbers. I like the situation. I think you got a good call, and hello to all those people you mentioned. All right, today's rally is justified when you look at the rare combination. This is very rare. Okay, so you've got a little wider distribution here. Yes. Uh, low rates, strong job creation, stimulus checks. But on big up days like today, remember, you still got to be disciplined. I like to trim winners, just trim, not ring the register on all of them. So I'm positioned for a rainy day. On Man Money Today, I'm sitting down with the CEO who says COVID was a catalyst for a change in the market structure that could be here to stay. Don't miss my exclusive with market access. Then this morning, Norwegian Cruise Lines asked the CDC to allow cruises starting in July. I'm sitting down with the CEO to see if it could be time to set sail with the stock. And in the past couple of years, we've seen an increased focus on so-called ESG considerations for investors. There's plenty of focus on the environmental and social aspects. But what about corporate governance? Tonight, I'm sitting down with a private player who hopes to help. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now that there's light at the end of the COVID tunnel, what happens to all these industries that were forced to digitize over the past 13 months? I mean, some of these stocks are starting to go down now. Take the bond market. Going into the pandemic, 70% of investment-grade bond trades were still handled manually. Once the lockdowns went into effect, bond traders were forced to go digital. That led to a banner year for the companies to facilitate electronic trading, especially market access, which was the original disruptor in the fixed income space. We've had them on a bunch of times. It's been a great stock. It has been just a fantastic performer in 2020. In 2020, but lately it's been stalled, in part because the world was soon to go back to normal, in part because February trading volumes were a little light. But if you think bond traders will stick with digital transactions, I think this could be a terrific long-term story. And after the close of the night, sure enough, market access reported a return to record trading volumes in March for many fixed income categories. So let's dig deeper with Rick McVeigh. He's the founder and chairman and CEO of Market Access. Get a clear sense of where his company's headed. Mr. McVeigh, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Great to see you. So, Rick, a lot of these analysts were saying, you know what? We're going to start annualizing year over year, and it's going to show that things are slowing down, which is what we started seeing in February. I'm looking at the numbers that just came out this evening. That is not what I see. That's exactly right, Jim. We we had a great quarter, and uh, all thanks to our clients for the tremendous support they have for our trading platform around the world. But uh you know, look, you, you know the story. Uh, these are going to be tough comps for any uh, companies like ours in the uh, trading and, and exchange space, uh, given the huge volumes that went through last spring. And I came into March thinking that if we could get anywhere close to last year's levels, it would be a big win. And we actually surpassed, surpassed last March and, and set new records. So 
was a great month uh, for the business and, and really a great record quarter as well. Okay, now a lot of people will be saying, well, wait a second, there'll be record treasury issuance. But the fact is, as good as treasury trading is, that's not where the money is, correct? Well, you know, we, we like the credit space. There's uh, there's there's plenty of action in the uh, the government bond space around the world. But, you know, listen, our focus has been primarily credit markets, uh, high grade, high yield, emerging markets, municipal bonds uh, and other credit instruments that historically are less liquid. Uh, and it's you know, it's been a great business for us and it continues to grow. We think we've been the fastest grower in this space for the past decade. And Feel really proud of our results the first quarter to kick off the new year. Okay, so Rick, uh, in 2008, we had a lot of credit swaps. We all heard there's going to be open markets. We're going to know what's going on. Didn't happen. Now we had this Archegos. They did all these credit swaps. I was hoping that things would be much more transparent. They're not. When can market access tell us what's going on in that market? Well, I'd say, you know, it's a, it's a good question. We, we are involved in the CDS market, and uh, as you know, uh, when Chair Gensler was at the CFTC, he pushed forward for central clearing of uh, CDS index swaps, and that helps to prevent the kind of things that we've seen with Archegos. The problem with the over-the-counter market is most clients are going to have 20 or so swap counterparties, and whether you're an individual counterparty or a prime broker, it's really hard to get a gauge on the aggregate risk of your client. And so the amount of leverage that's being carried by some clients is greater than people know. And Clearly, a, a move toward greater electronic markets, uh, more electronic trading, more central clearing. All of that helps at the margin. Okay, so let's talk about it. Here's a Morgan Stanley piece. Trade Web is giving market your competitor market access a run for its money, uh, and they're saying that they're gaining share against you. Uh, I, I'm not see, seeing a big pickup in share uh, or declining share by your company uh, of late. Am I missing something? Well, no, I, I think I think you've got the story right, Jim. We, if you look at, uh, if you really want to get to the crux of the story, you have to get to the financials, right? And if you take a look at 2020, and especially if you drill into credit trading revenue, uh, you will see that once again we were the biggest grower in the space by far. So our lead actually expanded during the course of 2020. The one thing everyone needs to be aware of, there are no reporting standards in the e-trading business and fixed income. So everyone has their own way of doing it. They're including all kinds of things that we wouldn't think about including. And I think the only way you get to the facts is to follow the money, Jim. And uh, when you do that, you'll see that uh, we were, again, the fastest growing company in the space last year. And our lead within credit specifically expanded even further. It's been the whole way since you first came on the show. So, Rick, what do we make about this green bond market? It seems pretty big. Jim, it's uh, big and it'll only get larger. There's uh, tremendous demand for green bonds from investors all around the world. And we're starting to see a real pickup in both corporate and municipal bond issuance of green bonds. We're excited to be out in front. We believe we've got the largest uh, green bond venue today. And we're making it easier for investors to identify and trade green bonds. Uh, very excited to see that market develop, and we think it will be a big growth story over the next five years. All right. How about China Bond Connect? Well, the Chinese let you in there. They've got a huge market, and we should be able to trade there. We, uh, we're we optimistic we, we will get approved. Uh, we're, we're working very closely with CFETs and the PBOC, and there again, we believe we have the largest institutional uh, emerging market debt franchise in the world. Uh, China's being added to both uh, developed market government bond indices as well as EM indices. 
we think we can bring a lot of investor interest and flow into the Chinese government bond market. And we're hopeful that we will be approved in the not too distant future. Now, some of the investors seem to be interested in uh, long term goals. I'd say actually most investors are interested in long term growth. Some of the analysts always are focused on margin, 1% margin this, 1% margin that. I think you've got a pretty clear view for our potential investors what you believe about the long term. We have, a, we have a great margin business already, and it, uh, margins expanded nicely last year to 54%, but we're really focused on maximizing this fantastic long-term growth opportunity, Jim, and that requires a lot of investment. So we're not managing our business to short-term margin. We're really trying to capture as much of this opportunity as we can longer term for our shareholders, and margins will fluctuate up and down. We've already got a highly profitable, high-margin business, but the most important thing for us is capturing this this fantastic opportunity for long-term growth. In that sense, I shouldn't say there's a ceiling on electronic trading, right? Absolutely not. You know, in our even in our core products, uh, we think we're the leader in areas like U.S. corporate bonds, high yield, global EM. Uh, but our share of those markets, on average, is about 17 percent. So the vast majority of the rest is still being conducted uh, through telephone and instant messaging and. I think over the years to come, you will see more and more and more of that go electronic as both dealers and, and, and investors see the trading efficiency and cost saving benefits of doing more business electronically. Right. It's clearly the only way. That's why I've been sticking with you since uh, since we first met. It's been a great investment. You're doing a terrific job. Rick McVeigh, founder, chairman and CEO of Market Access. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. If you think long-term, there's no one better than this man. I've known him forever. He is a moneymaker. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, cruise stocks rallied today on hopes of a return to voyaging. The top brass of Norwegian is on deck to talk about taking to the high seas once again. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Could the cruise lines resume sailing sooner than we thought? The whole industry's kind of been stuck in limbo because the CDC refuses to lift its no-sale order, even after all the cruise lines have presented some pretty rigorous safety plans, including a vaccine requirement. Last month, the CDC rejected the cruise industry's calls to lift the no-sale order. Stocks got dinked. The regulators 
kept keep calling for a phased reopening, but then they give us little to no guidance on timing. Today, though, the whole industry put out another call for a phased resumption as quickly as possible. And Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, the smallest, and by the way, fastest going operator, went one step further. They published a public letter to the CDC with detailed proposals on how they can cruise again starting July 4th. This is a very rigorous safety plan, so they're basically daring the CDC to turn them down again. In response, the stock shut up more than 7% today, making it the best performer in the S&P 500, and that's after a spectacular move over the past six months. So could this plan actually work? Let's check in with Frank Del Rio, the president of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, to hear more about his safety proposal and what it might mean for the industry. Mr. Del Rio, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's good to be with you always. All right, so Frank, I'm a little confused. I see people going to hotels or traveling in airplanes or going to the casinos or line up getting casinos. But when it comes to cruises, when it comes to the cruises, somehow the CDC says, whoa, I don't think these basically these guys can do anything right. That's how I read it. How do you read it? And what are you doing in response? Look, we read it the same way. Uh, It's time to get back to cruising. We have a solid plan. The plan we, we, we put out to the CDC today is comprehensive. It's robust. It has as its cornerstone, everyone on board is going to be vaccinated. Plus, we're going to incorporate all the protocols that the Healthy Safety Panel uh, put together. So combined, it's ironclad, Jim. I don't want to say that I'm daring the CDC to do anything, but I want to hear any, any feedback that suggests that this is not the best way to come back and cruise again. I challenge you to tell me of another venue anywhere that has this kind of ironclad health and safety protocols in place. Um, not a not any building, not a casino, not a hotel, not a theme park, not an airplane, not your corner drugstore, not your grocery store, nowhere. Cruise ships will de facto become the safest place on earth. All right, so Frank, it's not like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that there are no ships sailing and we have no data. Right. I mean, there are ships sailing outside this country where we have plenty of data that nothing's happened. Look, my colleagues have done, or I should say my peers have done a fantastic job. Several cruise companies for the last eight months have been cruising in Europe and Asia. They've carried over 400,000 guests with less than 50 COVID cases. Now, that's a much lower prevalence rate than anywhere else on land. They've handled each one of them with um, with grace uh, no, no cruise uh, has been interrupted or canceled midway. They handled them beautifully. And that's without having vaccines on board. Imagine how low the uh, rate, if any, there will be on board a vessel if everybody is vaccinated. So, look, we, we feel confident about this plan. I've said it many times, Jim. I will not put the safety and health of any of our guests or crew or the communities we visit unless I am 100% sure that we can deliver a uh, a health and safety uh, environment. I won't put my 88-year-old mother who's in a wheelchair on board until that's the case. And I believe that this proposal that we put forth to the CDC does just that. All right. So, Frank, let me say, let me see if I can poke some holes in it. How about we don't vaccinate children and so they'll get on the ship and then they can give people COVID? Look, at the beginning, in order to create Um, the confidence that all of us need, that the CDC needs, our past guests, our travel agent partners, our suppliers, and all of us. We want to start in the safest manner possible, and that is no loopholes. Everybody on board has to be vaccinated. And over time, so look, Jim, several things will happen over time. 
Over the next three, four, five months, we see that uh, there will be a vaccine for children. Pfizer has stated that for children six to 12 years old. Uh, over time, as more people get vaccinated in the U.S. and around the world, the prevalence will decrease. All the scientists tell us that. That is a universal uh, conclusion. And so this is not permanent. In fact, we, we don't want to have to dictate that everyone has to have a vaccine. But I think that's where society is going. Uh, the doctors, the scientists, society believes that vaccine is the game changer. And we agree. The CDC themselves stated last Friday that um, vaccinated travelers have a very low risk of, of traveling. So they, they encouraged it. They said that they don't need a test. They don't need to be quarantined. And we want to be treated just like every other travel, tourism, and hospitality sector out there. And we've not been. And we've been patient. We've been working with the CDC. But now, given the uh, lower uh, prevalence of cases, the fact that the cases that, are, uh, that do occur the, the uh, intensity of the disease is much lower. The vaccines are ramping up. 165 million Americans have gotten at least one jab. Four million a day now, uh, growing to likely five million a day in the next couple of weeks. We're not asking to cruise today. We're asking the CDC to lift the conditional sale order effective July 4th. That's three months from now, Jim. Mm -hmm. Think back three months ago. Well, how about the variants? The pre, Do we have to worry about the, the variants on the cruise? How about the variants? I'm sorry? The variants. People tell me maybe it's the variants CDC's worried about. Well, you know, there's always something to worry about, but everything we hear from the scientists, not from the, not from the CEOs, but from right. the scientists, is that the existing vaccines are effective against the variants. And Matt, remember three months ago when only a few thousand people in the U.S. were vaccinated? Right. Today, 165 million. Three months from now, when we're asking to cruise again, Everybody who'll want a vaccine will be vaccinated. Right. The, the situation will be completely different. And, and we have, we're asking the CDC to look forward a little bit, not to look backwards. Look, the, the, the guidelines that the CDC issued specifically for the cruise lines on, uh, on Friday, a couple of hours after they said that the, uh, uh, the people can travel if they're vaccinated, were deeply disappointed. We went backwards. Instead yes, of having did. three colors to figure out what ship status, we now have four. No, you definitely went no, backwards because before we at least we could somewhat understand what they were doing. After Friday, I simply had no idea what they were doing. It just seemed like, you know what, we're going to confuse the picture, make it so anybody says they want to want to uh, cruise. Well, listen, it's all on the cruise lines are not doing the job. That's nonsense. Do you not have an unbelievable number of bookings? I'm looking at the Oceana Cruise 2023, the around the world in 108 days, sold out within one day. The 2022 yeah. look, bookings look, are let people cruise Jim, if they want to cruise. Jim, what we're looking for is to work in a meaningful way with the CDC. We want we think this is a, a perfect example of what a public private health partnership can look like. If the CDC would come to the table and talk to us, right. discuss with us what their concerns are. Let us tell you what our plans are. Let's come together. Um, in terms of, uh, of demand, Jim, I said in our earnings call four or five weeks ago that we are better booked for 2022 at this point of the booking cycle than we've ever been in our in our history, including the record year of 2019. Pent up demand is real in the cruise space. 15 million Americans didn't get to cruise last year, 30 million worldwide. And, and by the time if the CDC lets me cruise July 4th, it'll have been nearly 17 months Right. 17 months 
since we uh, operated. Well, Tell have you, me have you been able to industry. take care of the air, air contact, uh, the pressure rooms that go into the hallways? Have all that been fixed so we don't have to worry? All been fixed. All we been have fixed. spent tens of millions of dollars to upgrade the air filtration system. We've built quarantine centers on board our vessels. Uh, we've increased the number of ICU beds, although, quite frankly, given that everyone is going to be vaccinated, you simply don't need them because no one's going to be that sick if they even get uh, uh, have COVID on board. So we, we've done... Listen, I, I, I'll put the burden on 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 anyone. Tell me what else we can do. Right, that's where if you the, are. If society, what else can if you society do? is moving towards vaccination as the way to solve this problem, we just solved it. Oh, I agree with you, Frank. I've got to tell you, you've answered every single objective I can think of. I don't know what I don't know what they really want at this point, other than to make it so you just can't cruise no matter what. And that's what they're saying, Frank. So I'm glad you spoke up. This is the right thing to do. Let's find out what they want. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Tim. Guys, look, I've been skeptical, but if they do everything, I mean, I've been saying, listen, once people are vaccinated, what else is there? What else do they want? People want a cruise. We should let them. Thank you, Frank Del Rio, President and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Lines and CLH. Yes, the best performer in the S&P today. Mad Money's back in the break. Coming up, is your investment in good hands? One man's changing the way companies find the stewards who populate your portfolio. And he goes off the tape with Kramer next. In the past couple of years, Wall Street's developed a conscience. Suddenly, investors care about the environment, social issues, and corporate governance. That's ESG for short. And when investors care, well, then management has to care. You hear a lot about the environmental and social aspects of climate change, racial justice, but corporate governance issues... Too little attention. That's because these high-level decisions can be incredibly opaque. So tonight, I want to take a closer look at how companies actually decide who gets to be on the board. Which brings me to Director Search. It's a privately held executive search platform that's aiming to revolutionize the entire industry. Right now, when a company wants to make a high-level hire on the board, they bring in a headhunter who gives a one-time commission when they find the right candidate. Director Search wants to turn this into a continuous process. You pay them an annual subscription, much less than the headhunter, and they help their clients work proactively to identify quality candidates, even when they're not actively hiring. That way you can have a deep bench of talent ready when you need it. I'm intrigued. So let's take a closer look with Ken Taylor. He's the founder and CEO of Director Search. Learn more about how he's shaking up the industry. Mr. Taylor, welcome to Mad Money. Nice to see you, Jim. Thanks for having me on your show. Of course, Ken. So can you please... Uh, contrast the old search process, which includes a retainer fee of 150000 one and done, versus what you're offering to companies. Okay, so let's start with this. The legacy search industry is a 65-year-old profession that generates annual revenues of 5 to $6 billion. It's organized as an oligopoly with the top five firms controlling market share and pricing. Typically, a search is expensive, time-consuming, incredibly inefficient, and very reliant on a researcher who is juggling 15 to 20 active searches at a time. We saw an opportunity where technology and data can come together. And we created a single platform that contains the data on every director, CEO, and level one executive in every company of the world. So you either are a director or you're aspiring to be one. And we put that into a platform and made it available 24-7 equally to companies and to candidates. They now may look continuously for director candidates and executives way ahead of need. 
Why would anyone still go with the old 150,000 one and done search when they can start analyzing people who they cannot consider if they haven't seen them? Our platform gives boards assurance that every candidate who should be considered, in fact, is. I mean, we're talking about planning the most important body of a corporation, the board of directors. And you ask yourself, as you go through director succession planning, do I have a level process that will assure a regular change of water, so to speak, as we go in and look at the directors ideally succeeding one one each year? Why you would look at a one-time fee when you can have a subscription. And the idea here is that we make the data available to everybody equally, and we lower the cost dramatically of conducting the search. All right, so Ken, let me just cut to the chase. We got the situation in Georgia, where I think a lot of people will feel, well, wait a second. I mean, Major League Baseball just pulled out. We got Coca-Cola pull, saying uh, that this law is no good. We got, uh, uh, you, you got Delta, you got a lot of companies. And yet when I look at boards, Ken, they look white to me, okay? They look white. I mean, it, it, and one of the reasons is because it's cronies. The CEO knows someone they went to school with. They don't think about people that they've never seen before. What can you do to make it so that boards are more diverse? Well, the first thing to do is to uh, ask yourself, who should we know? And to get rid of the chums, if you will, on the boards. Right. The I, That the, the vast majority of directors are age 65 and older. And you're right about the composition. Even with gender, Jim, only 16% of the uh, board members are female. So there's a lot that we should do in terms of broadening the issue of diversity and inclusion. And it starts with equality of opportunity. So you first need to be in a place where you can be considered. And the platform is designed to do that. There's no excuse anymore for someone to say, gee, we didn't know about that person. We're shifting the conversation in terms of board composition from who do we know to who should we know. And let me ask you, uh, are there enough director jobs out there that director search can make enough money to build a, a publicly traded company one day? At the moment, there's 272,000 directors in the world that direct about 49,000 companies. Of those 272,000, 31,000 are age 70 and older, and most sit on one and a half boards. Now just think about that. In the US, the numbers are twice. So one in five directors in the United States are age 70 and older. There is probably 45,000 searches that need to be done over the next two to five years in order to replace the directors who will retire due to age. Well, that just to me sounds like you're very needed, and I really am glad you brought up. I've been on public boards where uh, be, be, the CEO uh, hires the friends, and I would love to be able to say, hey, how about hiring director search as a way to be able to block the cronies? Because you need something that says, wait a second, I think we ought to look at people we don't know. Well, the, the, probably the most important aspect of the, pro, uh, of the platform is that it brings to fore a, a network of people that the board members may not know. Right. And what we do is we present those, but we, sent, we establish the affiliation 
So for each candidate, if, it, if he or she knows or is related to a board member one or two levels deep, we explain to the board how that works. But we don't start with the premise of who do we know. Right. We will right. end with the premise of who do we know after we've gone through a proper uh, vetting of the candidates. Well, I think this is a very systematic way to be able to deal with these things. I want to yes. thank you, Ken Taylor, founder and CEO of Director Search, making some big changes in the way we handle boards. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim, very much. Have a good evening. Yep. May have money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! Come on, And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead! Time for the lightning round! Let's start with Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew! A big South Jersey Philly booyah. Oh, there you go. Give me a Geno's booyah. What's going on? Thank you for all your common sense and invaluable insights. Oh, thank I've been you. looking over my tech exposures, and my question is around someone you've talked about and had on in the past, and that's Fastly, FSLY. I have a yeah. small position, and I'm, you know, I, I like it. I like it, but it's caught up in the Zoom, Peloton, you know, it's caught up in the Z scaler. It's regarded as a high multiple stock, but I wouldn't sell it here. I think this one has room to run to the upside. Maybe not all the way back, but certainly the upside. Stanley in North Carolina. Stanley. Chill, man. What's going on? Oh, not much. You tell me. Happy belated Easter to you. I oh, just thank wanted you, to see. ask a question about um, Taiwan Semi. Um, I've been on it for a little bit, and I wanted to know what you think about it. Oh, right you're in here. good shape um, there. Now, tomorrow, Applied Materials has an analyst meeting. I think you're going to hear that this is the hottest business in the world. Taiwan Semi's got so many orders. Don't know what to do with it. I would buy it at these levels. Tim in New Jersey. Tim. Greetings from Little Branch, New Jersey, Jim. Well, there you go. What's going on? would like to get your thoughts on what I think is an under-the-radar uh, pandemic play. It's a syringe company that just announced their uh, FY20 uh, revenues. We're up 95% over 19, had a 1,000% increase in earnings per share. What are your thoughts on retractable technologies, RVT? All right, they are, look, they are getting going to get many, many orders because they have a retractable that makes it so you don't get stuck. That said, I think that this kind of stock right now is not going to be working, and I would not be a buyer of retractable. Let's go to Martin in Florida. Martin. Hey. Martin, you're up. How are you? All right, how about you? I'm doing well. I have a question to ask you. Okay. G G O E V. Okay, this is. All right, still one more electrical vehicle play. Remember, we're cool. Look, I got to. Let's have him on the show. Uh, But this group has come very, very tough, as you know. Uh, And I have to just say right now, there are other ways to make money that are easier. How about Trey in New York? Trey. Trey. Yes. Yeah, this ben, is chill. What's booyah, up, Trey? Booyah. Yeah. How you feel about the EV sector, being that it has cooled off? Neo, stick a symbol. You know, Neo's got to come down. I mean, there's just too much hot money in some of these. I recognize that. Look, that doesn't mean I don't like them. I'm just saying I don't like the company. I'm saying that the stocks have gotten, let's just say, the sellers are really kind of everywhere. Let's go to John in New York. John. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I've been following you since the Cutlow and Kramer days. Well, there you go. That dates me. What's happening? You're the best. Listen, Jimmy, forget Jimmy Chill. You should be called Jimmy the Iceman. There you go. You are the Iceman of equities because you know why? You never panic. 
No, that's what they used to call me at the hedge fund. I had ice in my veins. Never tell your investors not to panic. Stay the course. All right, so what are we talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm baffled, Jimmy. I hope the management knows what they're doing over here. Plug power. Yeah, I got. I have to get them on. They've got to come on before I can say, listen, this, this, you know, the coast is clear. I love hydrogen power, but we got to find out what the hell is going on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Score one for the Sheriff of Nottingham? With Robinhood traffic down, are the Knights of Reddit calling it quits on their quirky crusade? Kramer's got the answer next. Welcome to Acceptance. I kept telling you tech stocks wouldn't be able to bottom until individual investors worked their way through the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Now that we've reached acceptance, that's how the FANG stocks were able to snap back. What defines acceptance? How about a dramatic decline in participation? A 35% drop-off in traffic at Robinhood alone, according to the Wall Street Journal, with volumes that are less than half what they were in the heyday when GameStop reigned supreme, even as though, of course, those volumes were unusually gigantic. When the journal reports that we had a day last week with volumes levels close to the slowest days of last year, Christmas Eve and the day after Thanksgiving, that tells you this new class of, of individual investors may have been blown out, accepted their defeat. Yep, just as these young home gamers got their $1,400 stimulus checks, they gave up on the market en masse, and the institutions have taken back control of stocks. So what the heck happened here? Some of it's the widespread belief that the market's rigged in favor of the professionals, who never get shut out of popular stocks the way Robinhood just shut individuals out of GameStop and the other meme stocks near their highs. Some of it's because their favorite high-growth names got crushed, even as the S&P 500 rallied 7% in the first quarter, creating a sense that stocks were a mugs game. Otherwise, well, shouldn't their stocks have stored too? Shouldn't they have made big money? But mostly, I think it's because many of these young people who were stuck in the same kinds of stocks, the fastest growers like the Snowflake or Zoom or DocuSign, Zscaler or the Cannabis Cohort or the Electric Vehicle SPACs, all of which started getting hurt after some relentless moves higher. Or maybe they bought GameStop in the 300s or Tesla in the 800s or an ARK ETF near the absolute high. Sadly, the journal story quotes an individual investor saying he's not going to watch his stocks anymore. He has confidence in them, though, and he knows that they'll bounce back even though he's got big unrealized losses. Well, that's what the acceptance stage looks like. And it's disastrous because many of these stocks absolutely won't come back, at least not to the exalted levels we saw a couple of months ago. Those prices are now out of reach because professional money managers have moved on to the great reopening plays like the Red Hot Industrials and the Transports and now today the Fags. You'll hear a lot more about how this market's pivoted from growth to value, but I think that framework's incredibly misleading. We've had a rotation from secular growth stocks that can deliver good earnings in any environment or maybe great sales to cyclical growth stocks that can deliver great earnings, but only when the economy's booming. There's no universe where the industrials can be considered value stocks here. I mean, I've never seen them this expensive. The banks are cheap, but not compared to where they were a year ago. No, what crushed these new individual investors wasn't a rotation from growth to value. It was a lack of diversification. They only own two kinds of stocks, the mean plays and the richest tech stocks, with the tech concentrated in Tesla and its imitators. Many of them are still in there, and hopefully the strength in Tesla today can bring some of those stocks back. 
Still, this is why I'm always preaching the importance of that plain old boring word, diversification. You need to know more than just the go-go stocks if you're going to have staying power in this business. Because when the go-go stocks fall apart, it happens fast. You also need some boring stocks, pedestrian businesses like the financials or the retailers, the rails. These stocks have little appeal to the Robinhood crowd because the brokers aren't educating them. They don't, a lot of these places offer no help whatsoever. And the pros have no incentive to help anyway. I'm hoping these individual investors open their drawers, look at their statements, and take some losses so they can diversify their portfolios by swapping to some of these other groups. I hesitate to say anything critical about Wall Street bets, but the obsession with a handful of meme stocks, namely GameStop and AMC, did no one any favors. How about some new names, guys? New stories, folks. Good ones that can make us money so we can dig in and learn about them. Help us! Of course, it's not too late for the rest of the market. There'll be more sell-offs after today's FANG semiconductor Tesla-led rebound. You can sell something now and then put that money to work on weakness. Or you can just switch over to an index fund if you don't have the time or the inclination to pick out a diversified portfolio. I just don't want you to just put the statement in the drawer. I'm begging you not to wait for these former market darlings to come all the way back. I guarantee you there's a better use for your money than parking in groups that are considered too expensive. Now that the economy's reopening, and the institutions say there are better fish to fry. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.